You know, recently uh, with the passing of the Queen of England, uh, we've probably all seen many images of important moments in her life, uh, important uh, things that occurred during her reign. I saw one that struck me uh, precisely because I was reflecting on the text that we're going to look at and study together this morning. It was when the uh, Queen was just 40 years old, so it was many years ago. Uh, she was at Wembley Stadium. And England had just defeated West Germany in the World Cup competition. And uh, tradition was that having won the match, the players, the winners, would head up into the stands uh, to where the queen was seated in her box. And the dignitaries there and the queen would present them with the World Cup trophy. And what I found interesting was that the, the queen, as was kind of always the case, was you know, decked out beautifully wearing a lovely yellow dress. And uh, she had on these long white gloves that you know, go up to the elbow. And uh, that you see the team beginning to make its way up into the stands. She was actually fairly high up. And as they are making their way up to where the queen is seated, now standing, uh, you, you see the captain of the British team. His name is Bobby Moore. And he's at the head of this procession. And as he's going up, you notice he's quite dirty. There's mud all over this guy. And he's going to go up and receive the trophy from the queen and shake her hand. And so he's frantically looking around for something to wipe his hands on. He's already done this kind of thing, right? He's looking for a towel or someone else's shirt, and he's frantically looking for something, some way to wipe his hands. He realizes, looking up at her, the queen is spotless. I mean, she's decked out. Again, white gloves right up to the elbow. And uh, he has got to stand before her, receive the trophy, and reach out and shake her hand. And uh, he's a little panicked. In fact, he was actually interviewed after that episode and asked, you know, what was it like to go up to the queen and get to shake her hand and receive the trophy? And he said, I was terrified because I was filthy. And of course, she wasn't. I remember a time myself, years and years ago, I was having a lunch with a, a businessman I don't remember who that businessman was now, but I still remember the occasion and the lunch. It was somebody that for whatever reason I wanted to impress. And um, as we were having lunch, I spilled, I dripped something right onto my shirt, plop, you know. I tried to wipe it off and what did that do? Made it worse, <laughs> yeah, it was more obvious now. And uh, I was mortified. I mean, I was making exactly the wrong impression the impression I didn't want to make. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard to take someone seriously when they have a big blob of mustard or ketchup or something, you know, on their shirt. They're visibly dirty. They're visibly soiled. They're visibly unclean. But truth be told, there is more than one way uh, to be or to feel unclean. Being dirty on the outside, that's one way, you know, dirty hands, you know, dirty uh, uniform, a dirty shirt, uh, but that can be as awkward and embarrassing uh, as two situations I just described. But being dirty on the inside, well, that's, that's a different matter. That's a whole different matter. That's actually far more serious. The awareness that inside me something is 
dirty. Something is not right morally or spiritually. Something is hidden in me, something I don't want you to see. You wouldn't want me to see your hidden dirt. That, that kind of dirty, that kind of unclean is a whole different matter. And that's the subject of our text this morning. And I would just observe that no matter how you are feeling about yourself this morning, whether you're feeling really good about yourself, I hope you're feeling good about yourself, or whether you're feeling really bad about yourself, I would argue that we all need to hear and understand what our text has to teach us this morning. In our passage, we meet a man who desperately, and I do mean desperately, needs cleansing. And the good news is he, he finds it. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in order to get a little bit more of the context. We're going to start reading in verse 29. Mark chapter 1 verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue. Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, Simon's mother-in-law, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him, Jesus, about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then our text. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. In this message... As we look at the word of God together, there's three things I want us to see. So you could get up and leave right after I tell you these three things, or you could stay for the rest of the message. These three things, I, I, I hope we, we see and feel the reality of the fact that there is a huge need for this leper and for us, a huge need for cleansing. There's a second thing I hope we see, and that is that there is in fact actually a means of cleansing. And then the last thing is just that there is a cost associated with the cleansing. Those three things. So are you with me so far? We better pray. Father God, 
would you teach us this morning? As we open your word and reflect on it together, would you uh, be working the soil of our hearts? And would you challenge us and encourage us and speak to us as only you are capable? This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you will remember, if you haven't read it more recently, you had to read it probably in high school, uh, a play by Shakespeare called Macbeth. Remember that one? It gives one of the best examples I know for the need of cleansing. In that case, eternal, I'm sorry, internal cleansing. In the play, you remember that Lady Macbeth has been complicit with her husband in the murder of King Duncan, the King of Scotland. And later in the play, we catch up with Lady Macbeth and we find her sleepwalking the halls of the castle. Uh, Earlier, she had chastised her husband for the fact that he had not really gotten all of King Duncan's blood out of his clothing, right? But now she's sleepwalking at night and as she sleepwalks, she is vigorously rubbing her hands together as if to try to wash blood off of her hands. And as she sleepwalks, she says this line, it's a famous one, you'll remember it, I'm sure, when you hear it. She says, out, damn spot, out, I say. Will these hands never be clean, she asks. And Lady Macbeth is tormented in the course of this this play over and over, night after night, despite her protesting, she can't seem to get herself clean. No amount of scrubbing, no amount of rubbing seems to remove the guilt that she feels for what she's done. It's one of Shakespeare's most insightful and really memorable scenes. The, the psychological drama, uh, the, the reality of what deep, deep guilt does to us. The agony of knowing that we are not clean morally, spiritually, and wanting to wash ourselves on the inside, but frankly not being able to do it. And I know there are many of us here this morning, and we are painfully aware of things that we have done, things that others don't know about, things that make us guilty, things that make us dirty, things that make us unclean. And no amount of time washes that stuff away. No amount of good deeds makes it better. King David lamented uh, one time in Psalm 51, he said, For I know my transgressions, and my sin, he said, is ever before me. David was, of course, specifically referring to that instance in his life where he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. But the sin didn't stop there, because on top of that uh, was the subsequent murder of Bathsheba's husband, so that the husband wouldn't find out about what David had done. David was piling up sin upon sin, all to cover it up. It was just uh, one bad thing after another. But David could not forget it and could not move on. And all of us know something, at least, about what David is talking about. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But sadly, it's not just the things we've done that make us feel dirty, I don't think. I was talking with someone a few years ago who shared with me that, that growing up, she had been sexually abused by her father. And that whole story was awful. It was, it was terrible. Uh, it was just ugly stuff. It wasn't something that she was able to stop as a child. And it wasn't something that, of course, she was guilty of. It wasn't something that she did. But she shared with me that it made her feel dirty 
It made her feel unclean. She felt like there was a darkness inside of her because of what someone else had done to her. She felt dirty. And sadly, that is a a very common experience when it comes to abuse of various kinds. It's very often the case that the victim is the one who feels shamed or feels dirty or is left feeling unclean. And I hope this morning that we are all reminded in a fresh and a powerful way that there is no area of life, there is no uncleanness, whether from the things we've done or from the things that have been done to us where Jesus cannot help us. That's what I hope we all see. Remember, Jesus himself was exposed in his death on the cross. He was literally physically exposed. He was humiliated. He was put in what everyone would have perceived as a very shameful situation as he hung on the cross without clothing. And and he is the one, you see, uh, himself having experienced shame and humiliation. uh, He is the one who can cleanse us, cleanse us from the guilt and the shame of what we've done, cleanse us from the shame and the inner dirtiness that we feel even from what others may have done to us. That feeling of shame was certainly familiar to the man we meet in our text this morning. Verse 40 tells us that a leper came to Jesus. Your footnotes might tell you, if you've got footnotes in your Bible, that that word leper, it can indicate a pretty wide range of skin diseases. But regardless of what this man's particular disease was, he is in an awful predicament. His disease is believed by everyone to be highly contagious and incurable. And that meant that in addition to the intense physical discomfort that this disease that he had put him through, he also had to live with Effectively, complete social isolation. Leviticus chapter 13, uh, we're told that lepers were commanded to be separated from the rest of the community. Not because the law was unkind, but very simply because people needed to be protected from these kinds of diseases. Leviticus 13 verse 45 says, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. In other words, a uniform indicating that they have this problem. They must wear torn clothes. They let their hair be unkempt. They cover the lower part of their face. That's a a mask. They had to wear a mask. And they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. And he must live alone. And he must live outside the camp. So this this individual carries around a deep, deep stigma. Everywhere he goes, people know his condition. He could not pop in to his friends uh, and say, hey, hi, how are you doing? He was socially distanced. He could not set foot on your property at all. To do so would mean that your entire property was defiled. It was was unclean. This had serious spiritual implications for him as well. Being unclean meant that you were excluded from the temple and all of the activities, the the worship activities that happened there, giving, sacrificing, praying. You were in effect treated like a walking corpse if you had a disease of this kind. It was as if you were physically and spiritually dead. If someone touched you or if you touched them, they became unclean physically and spiritually. 
just as if they had touched a corpse. It's hard to imagine a worse kind of affliction, I think. Going through life with leprosy, you would feel toxic. You're, you, you brought defilement on anyone or anything that, that you might come into contact with or come near. This is hard for us to grasp something of this nature. And yet, even here today, there there are most likely some, a few perhaps among us, who feel similarly, feel kind of toxic. You you feel so messed up and confused, you can't seem to, to get anything right in spite your efforts, relationships don't work, aren't working for you. You have few or no friends Family relationships are stressed, are difficult. Parenting doesn't seem to be working. It's nothing but difficult. The marriage is rocky. It seems that whenever and wherever you draw near to people, you just kind of mess things up. Toxic. And truthfully, if there is a God that exists, what on earth would he want to do with you? You can see why God might be interested in other people. I mean, their lives or their relationships, their accomplishments, uh, their ups and downs, but you not so much. You're a mess. You're toxic. Wouldn't be surprised at all if there were some here this morning, a few perhaps, that feel exactly that way. Now, truth be told, all of us, uh, most of us, not all of us, feel probably quite the opposite. We feel pretty good about ourselves. Uh, we know we're not perfect. In fact, we have a slogan together about that. You know, we're, we're a church of people who aren't perfect and, and don't pretend to be. But all things considered, when we don't think too deeply about it, we think, well, who wouldn't want me on their team, right? My life is good, and I'm pretty pleased with myself. And my point is just simply that most of us, much of the time, Do not walk around feeling like a leper, feeling toxic. But maybe we should. Maybe we should. Because this man in our text, the the leper, is actually a pretty accurate picture, a metaphor, an illustration of who we actually are, spiritually speaking. See, regardless how we might feel about ourselves on the outside, all of us spiritually, all of us morally are grossly unclean in the sight of God. We just are. All of us are morally toxic. All of us need, desperately need cleansing. That's your and my true spiritual condition. And it's important that we see and understand that. I have, you have a deep, deep need of cleansing, whether you feel it or not. And that's our first point. Two more to go. Verse 40 actually opens with kind of a jaw dropper. It says, and a leper came to him, came to Jesus. And that's a jaw dropper because this should actually never have happened. Never should have happened. This leper should be staying well, well away from Jesus and frankly, everyone else. This leper has no business coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus would have surprised and shocked everyone. But this leper knows something, you see, about Jesus. 
In fact, back in verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. This leper knows something significant about Jesus. He knows that Jesus had come to heal and had come to cleanse. Back up in verses 33 and 34, uh, we're in the town of Capernaum at this point. It says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. This is at Simon's house. And it says, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, we're told. Somehow, I'm pretty sure this leper has heard those stories possibly even observed what had happened from a distance. We don't know. But somehow we do know that he knows Jesus has power. Jesus can do more than just give him some good and helpful advice. Jesus can heal and overcome his toxicity, even his sin, his disease. Every bit of it, outside, Physically, inside, spiritually, this leper has some sense that while he and his condition are literally almost the embodiment of death, Jesus is somehow the embodiment of life and health and wholeness. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has power to do good, deep, deep down good. So an obvious question surfaces, at least... Does to me, I, I read this, I reflect on it, and I ask myself, do I know that? And I'd ask you, do you? Do you know that? Do you believe what the leper believed? Do you know that, that in this dying, decaying, sin-filled, badly broken, toxic world, there is someone who can, there is someone who will make all things right if not today then someday or to put it more personally do you know that while you are diseased decaying sin filled and broken there is someone who can make you all right our leper in this story knows that there's something else that he knows that I observe He knows that he's not worthy. He doesn't deserve some kind of healing that this rabbi, this Jesus can give him. This is why he kneels. In verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him. That's the posture that a person takes when they're begging, right? When they're they're pleading with someone. That's why this leper is kneeling. He's asking for something that he hasn't earned, something he's well aware of. He doesn't deserve. The leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, he knows Jesus has the power. He knows Jesus can heal him, but he doesn't presume that Jesus should. He knows that Jesus isn't obligated to heal him. And Jesus doesn't, you know, owe him this service or this favor or this kindness or this grace. And and so he says, if you will, if you will, you can. And uh, at this point, uh, if Mark's readers weren't already shocked enough at the leper's approach, they're certainly shocked in verse 41. There we read that moved with pity, Jesus stretches out his hand. Moved, that's interesting. 
we've already noted that according to the conventions of the day, Jesus should be moved far, far away from this guy, this leper. But instead, we are told that Jesus is moved with pity, not with revulsion, not with disgust, not with indifference, not with anger. Jesus feels for this man. One scholar points out that this word that's translated pity could actually also be translated anger, uh, meaning that Jesus is angry, not at this man, but at what this disease is doing to this man. And the point is that Jesus is affected by this man and his condition, his struggles, what sin in the world is doing to him. Jesus cares. This man and what he's going through matters to Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in for a moment. And when and if it does, you just might realize that you matter to Jesus. What your life has become, what your life is, matters to Jesus. And when Jesus looks into the darkness of your life or my life, when he sees the twisted, messed up, brokenness, idol-ridden, diseased lives we live, amazingly, wonderfully, he's not grossed out by us, right? He doesn't move away from us. He does the opposite. In fact, he moves toward us, or to put it another way, he actually invites us, commands us to move, to come to him. My small group, my Bible study, is uh, reading a book together called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And uh, in this book, uh, Reverend Ortland looks at Matthew chapter 11. It's, uh, it's the only place in the Bible where Jesus tells us, d- describes for us his heart. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've read that many, many times. And I never have quite looked at it the same since starting to read this book that I'm reading by Reverend Ortland. Ortland tells us, and I quote, In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down deep into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. That's the way many of us think of Jesus. He's he's a little bit ticked off at me all the time. Because I'm not cutting it. Not really. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart, he writes. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. When Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, when he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, what we find there is gentle and lowly. Who could ever have thought up such a savior? Ortland goes on to talk about what gentle and lowly means. And of course, it means things like meekness. It means things like humility. But then he he makes this wonderful observation. He says, boil all of those things down. And what does that really say about Jesus? Here's what he says it says about Jesus. I think he's exactly right. He says, it means full accessibility. 
full community. Jesus wants community with you and me. He's opened his arms wide. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. Accessibility. Jesus wants us to come to him. We don't need to wonder how Jesus feels about us. He describes his own heart as gentle and lowly. And he demonstrates exactly those qualities right here to this leper. And by, I would say, extension to us. Same thing. Now, what matters here is not so much how Jesus feels, but it's what Jesus does. It's incredibly beautiful. It's very powerful. It says, moved with pity. And again, this would have been shocking, right? It says, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Friends, it had probably, I'm, I'm, we don't know this, I'm guessing, of course, but it had probably been years, quite some time, certainly, since this man had felt physical contact from any other human being. I read recently that it's, it, this is actually a real thing, that if you go without physical touch from another human being, from someone you care about, if you go without physical touch for any extended period of time, it actually affects us emotionally. It affects us psychologically. They've got a name for it. It's called skin hunger. We need physical contact, human beings. And so Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches this leper. And that would be dangerous, of course. I mean, for one thing, it's going to make Jesus Become unclean, right? That's one of the reasons you keep away from lepers. But Jesus isn't just anyone, is he? We know something about him. He's the son of God. He's not just anyone. Jesus, the son of God, whose heart is gentle and lowly, actually cares even about lepers who are heavy laden. And so Jesus says these incredible, these amazing words to, he, to him. He says, I am willing, I will be clean, he says. Friends, Jesus doesn't just feel pity for us, but then isn't able to help us or do something about our condition. Jesus feels for us and then wills to make us clean. And I love what happens here. <laughs> And I can't help but point this out. Notice immediately he says, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Completely. Totally. 100% cured. It was not a 7 out of 10. Hey, how's your leprosy? Are you feeling any better? You know, you were, you were at a zero because you were a leper. How are you feeling now? Are you like 7 out of 10, not a leper? None of that nonsense. That's what that is. That's nonsense. The leper was made whole, you see. Jesus speaks and immediately the leprosy is completely gone from this man's body. Jesus speaks that the reality of cleanness into this man's life. Jesus' words affect the very thing they declare. And it turns out Jesus was never really at risk from this man's leprosy. Turns out the leprosy was at risk from Jesus. That's what's going on here. The point is Jesus' cleanness is more powerful. It's more contagious than this man's uncleanness. And here, friends, is what we need to know. It's what we need to receive out of this text. There is more that is right in Jesus than there is wrong in you or me. And there is more health and goodness in Jesus than there is sin or sickness in you or me. 
And there's more grace in Jesus than there is offense in you or me. The very worst in us cannot compete with the best in Jesus. Amen. But boy, we struggle to believe that, don't we? We struggle to believe that. We hear something like this and we think, well, yeah, in theory, I get it. That's, that's got to be theologically correct, I guess. But in reality, oh man, if you knew the messes I've made, if you knew the sins I've committed, if you knew the behaviors that I'm ashamed of, you have no idea how bad the mess is that is me. To which the Bible says, no. No, friend, you're not that special. You don't have sin in your life that is bigger and more powerful than Jesus. One of the great statements of the Apostle Paul, you remember how the Apostle Paul described himself one time? He was writing to a, 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 a junior that he had been mentoring, a, a, a man in the ministry, his name is Timothy, and he writes to Timothy, a guy who knows Paul, who's done ministry with Paul, a guy who has followed Paul around. How does Paul describe himself? The worst of sinners. That's how Paul describes himself. The Apostle Paul, the worst of sinners. In another letter, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says this. These are rich, 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 rich words. He says, he says but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And certainly Paul is right. Sin does increase, doesn't it? We all just keep adding to the pile. We pile on more and more, higher and higher and higher and higher. I'm just curious, anybody here stopped sinning yet? You're done with sin. Haven't sinned. Been a long while since you sinned. Yeah. Don't think so. And you know something? Our sins stink. They stink to high heaven. And their effects run deep and spread far and wide. But your sins and mine are not bigger. They are not more powerful than Jesus' grace. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so, friends, we have the need of cleansing. That's point number two. We have a need of cleansing that is far, far greater than we can ever imagine. But we also have the means of cleansing which far exceeds our need. That is Jesus Christ who wills us to be cleaned. One more point, okay? And that's the cost of cleansing. We notice that this story doesn't end with Jesus just, you know, cleansing the leper. It doesn't stop there. Jesus actually sends this leper off with two very, very, very clear instructions. This is what he says, verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So first, Jesus sternly charges him. See that you say nothing to anyone. Wow. Interesting. Jesus is commanding him to keep quiet about what just 
has happened. And this is quite a strong command. Jesus could have said something like, hey, oh, you know, um, this is particularly a delicate time in my public ministry. I'm just, just kind of getting started here. I've got a lot of things that I need to do in the years to come. I don't want to get overwhelmed by crowds of people if they hear about what's happened here. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just kind of keep it all to yourself right now, you know, be very discreet about who you share this. That's not what Jesus does. He sternly charges the man. Say nothing to no one. And I'm sure Jesus is looking him in the eyes when he tells him this. His, his instructions are clear. Say nothing to who? No one. <laughs> no one. Pretty comprehensive. Instead, he says, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. That way you can get your proper clean bill of health. That's what he will get when he does that. He'll be restored into the community of God's people. And Jesus wants that for this man. But look what happens in verse 45. It says, instead, it says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. And part of us, well, we, I mean, we understand this. This man has just been handed back his life, right? He is freed from this wretched, wretched disease. Uh, he is no longer unclean. He is understandably overjoyed. But it is an amazing, pretty amazing reminder, isn't it, that we can be in such deep, incredibly deep need of Jesus. And we can be so desperate for his grace and for his mercy. And we can be so thankful and so glad to receive it. But in little more than a blink of an eye, we are also quite sure that we know better than Jesus. What's best for us, what's best for others, what should be done, what shouldn't. And so off we go to do exactly what we want to do, not what Jesus tells us to do. You know what's shocking to me? You know, it almost takes my breath away in this text. Jesus still gives this man grace. I wouldn't. I'd take back the healing. <laughs> but not Jesus. Jesus still cleanses this man, even though this man is going to go and immediately disobey him. And if we're being honest, that's what he does for us too, every day, all day long. It's called amazing grace. I think it's also worth noting, just, just as kind of an aside, that while this man, for a particular set of reasons, is being told not to tell anyone about what Jesus has just done, we, on the other hand, have been told quite clearly, quite clearly to go and tell people about Jesus. And most of us are no more obedient than this man is. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Or a much easier, when's the last time you invited somebody, somebody who might not know Jesus, to join you at church? <laughs> this man tells people about Jesus when he is told not to. We don't tell people about Jesus when we are told to tell people about Jesus. And we are still given grace too. Amazing grace. Notice the result of this man's disobeying Jesus. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and spread the news. Remember, Jesus had said, hey, kind of 
please keep a little bit quiet about this. Keep this off of social media. But the guy's posting it left, right, and center. He's saying, look at me. Ta-da, I'm back. I'm better. I'm cleansed. You know, that's what he's doing. And this is all going viral so that now everyone is piling on to get their own healing. Verse 45, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So here's what's happening. We saw that Jesus was uncontaminated by this man's leprosy. Jesus wasn't made unclean by being close to this man or by touching this man. But there is a sense now in which this man's sin has made Jesus unclean. At the start of the story, it was the leper who was the outsider. The leper was excluded. He was the one isolated. He had to stay away from people, stay out of towns. He had to be in desolate places. But now it's Jesus. It's Jesus who's on the outside. It's Jesus who's in desolate places. You see how Jesus has swapped places with the leper? Mark, I think, wants us to see that the way Jesus ultimately cleanses us from our sin, from our guilt, from our shame, or from disease, if that's the case, moral, spiritual toxicity, the way he does that is by bearing it himself. He swaps places with us, you see. Our guilt is put on Jesus. Our sin is piled on Jesus. Our shame is placed upon Jesus. Our diseases to be healed get placed on him. This whole episode early in Jesus' ministry is actually just a foretaste of what's coming. And what's coming is the cross. The cross is the big swap, isn't it? The burden that Jesus releases us from is one he ends up carrying in himself. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, he said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no guilt to be guilt for us. God made him who had no shame to be shame for us. God made him who had no dirt and no corruption and no filth to be filthy, dirty for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we might be cleansed and be made whole. How does that happen? It's an exchange. The trigger is faith. It's trust. It's my acknowledging my sin and acknowledging my need. It's coming to Jesus and saying, if you, if you will, you can make me clean. And if you ask Jesus to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you morally and spiritually, that is exactly what he will do. It's a by faith transaction. It's a spiritual transaction. Let me end this message. You want me to end this message? No. <laughs> yes, you do. You just lied. <laughs> uh, let me end, though, by going back to Jesus' words. This is Matthew 11 again. Jesus says to you and to me, to all of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, worn out by your own uncleanness and unworthiness, worn out by what you've done or worn out by what others have done to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will 
I will give you rest. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Pray with me. Father, this is revealing to us a God we could not make up. This tells us that you are a God unlike any that any human being has ever imagined. You are gentle and you are lowly. You are accessible. You call us to yourself. You are capable, more than capable, of forgiving our great sin, of cleansing us. And Father, would you teach us as your people to come to you again and again and again and again and again and again with our sin to seek your cleansing. And in that moment of repentance, would you give us the grace to listen, the mercy to obey that we might become more and more and more like our Savior Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.